welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone tonight, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And since we are all children of the living God, and the living God dwells equally within us all, let us all, each and every one, begin to act like we know that we are divinely created by sincerely loving one another, not simply based on what we see with our physical eyes or the opinions of others, but let us begin perceiving one another spirit to spirit through the eyes of our mighty I Am Presence. Amen. Give thanks and praises love and light and y'all be loved a hindu child once said to his playmate if you can tell me where god is I will give you a mango. The playmate replied, If you can tell me where he is not, I will give you two mangoes. Yes, where is he not? While most religions teach that God is omnipresent, the majority of people have difficulty in grasping this truth. They are under the illusion that he must be sought in particular places and in definite localities, such as in churches and in heaven. Many make the mistake of attempting to fit their ideas of the deity into their limited intelligence, and liken God unto themselves. They ascribe to him hands, feet, face, senses, and emotions and assume that he is local and individual. The majority are unable to realize his ever-present nearness, but believe he is remote and separated from the universe, inaccessible and only to be approached through intermediaries. Yet Jesus, who knew the Father, has told us that God is Spirit. Spirit fills all infinitude, is holy and completely present everywhere and cannot be divided into segments, nor is spirit relegated to some parts of the universe and excluded from others. God is pure intelligence or spirit, the primordial essence of all things, the eternal basis of all forms. God is everything there is, seen and unseen, manifest and unmanifested, for nothing is lifeless but endowed with varying degrees of intelligence, spirit or God. What is his relation to the universe? Deity and nature are counterparts, the phenomenal world is the body of God just as the physical form is the body of man. Just as man's spirit animates all parts of the corporeal body, so does infinite spirit animate all his creations. However, the objective universe is God no more than the corporeal body is man. God is in everything, yet all these things are not God. God is in me, but I am not God. Is God with form, or is he formless? God is both with form and without form. God is one but becomes many and is constantly projecting himself into all manner of forms. Forms are superimposed upon spirit and change continually, while God or spirit remains forever the same. God creates by thought and the universe is filled with creations which form his parts. All things are in reality the same substance with different rates of vibration. 
Seen subjectively there is unity, beheld objectively there is multiplicity. Is it possible to see God, and what is meant by seeing Him? Is He perceived or conceived? Never can God be seen with the physical eyes, but only with the eyes of the soul. Never can the architect of the universe be seen sitting on some planet, sun, cloud, throne, or mountain. The only necessary qualification to behold Him is to be pure in heart. He whose spiritual eyes are open sees God in all existing things. Those who have difficulty seeing God should begin by looking for Him in man at His best. It is there we receive the clearest revelation. Every man is God made flesh. He dwells equally in all men, the humblest as well as the greatest, be he man or angel, saint or sinner. God dwells on earth as well as in heaven. He mingles with man and in men on the battlefield, the home, and on the street, in the marketplace and in the mosque. Man is never out of the sight of God. How can we know God? God and truth are inseparable, and our knowledge of the one increases our knowledge of the other. Knowing God is the most important truth to be known, and a true understanding of Him is found within oneself. Since man is never separated from God, he can be contacted instantly and without intercessors. If man wants happiness in this life, if he wants to know who he is, why he was born, and what is the purpose of this life, then let him devote himself to knowing God. However, in order to know God, we must study more than his forms, we can do that forever and learn little. We must devote ourselves to observing his ways, his modes of manifestation, methods of operation and study his attributes, which are wisdom, beauty, order, power and love. Knowing God, or oneness with the divine is the supreme goal of spiritual aspirants. It is the highest spiritual experience, to be attained only by deep contemplation. Oneness with the divine implies not only consciousness of God, but identification with him. For example, take the term body conscious. This means that we are identified with the body and cannot separate ourselves from it or its conditions. The same state is true when we are God conscious, we feel a oneness with Him and cannot separate our consciousness from His. It is a blending of consciousness much as the fragrance of flowers intermingle with the summer breeze. Oneness with the Divine is the intuitive recognition of being one with the source of all life and all created things. It is a kinship with the leaves, grass, flowers, birds, animals, and all forms of life. It is a love and sympathy for all which breathes and lives, an affinity with all nature, animate and inanimate. God-conscious people are known by their great compassion for their fellow men and labor unceasingly for their improvement and enlightenment. They know that when one man falls, all fall, that when one man rises, all rise, as all share the one life, for each is bound to every living being and thing by unbreakable bonds. Only those who are yet unaware of their relationship to God and His creations ever injure or exploit their brothers. Those who enslave and degrade others wind up by becoming enslaved and degraded themselves. This is true of both nations and individuals who hold people in bondage. Many people are unable to see God in men, particularly in the unfortunate members of His family, such as the criminal and the depraved. Nevertheless, despite the repellent exterior, God dwells in them, too, otherwise, they could not exist. Since God dwells in all, there is good in all. The so-called good people who attempt to exterminate the so-called bad people end by becoming like the bad. They should instead look for the good, or the God, which is in them and appeal to it, the Spirit will respond. Jesus healed and reformed men because he saw them as perfect expressions of the Father. He appealed to the divine or good within and always got response. For life is a mirror in which we behold our own reflection everywhere, and Jesus was too pure to see aught but good. 
who, for instance, had first claim upon him. It was the lepers and sinners, who were considered outside the pale by the respectable people of the community. We do not see God because we are short-sighted, inexperienced and lack soul vision. We see only the outside of men, which is often disfigured with faults and imperfections, and which covers the real man. In order to behold the real man, or the God within, we must pierce the exterior and see him as he actually is, as God made him, innately divine and beautiful. No amount of sin and error can ever defile this inner man. While it is often impossible to love the outer aspect of man, it is easy to love God or the good within. A spiritually-minded person constantly strives to do this, and always thinks of men as spirits, not as bodies or intellects. Unfortunately for mankind, rulers are completely unaware that God and man are one. They are equally ignorant of man's true nature, for they believe he is matter and exploit him only to attain their selfish aims. Life they use primarily to promote their vanity and ambition. They protect private property and wealth, but desecrate and destroy these temples of God, the bodies of man. Judas was innocuous compared to the recent crop of traitors who sold their country and millions of souls to foreign greed and power. Leaders are needed who have reverence for human life, who realize that life has dignity, that every man is an expression of God, and that one soul is of far greater worth than a continent. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? The first consideration of any government should be to safeguard human life and not to protect territory. When millions are slaughtered for the multiplication of wealth and the acquisition of real estate, rulers are guilty of treason against God and man. Those who profess to love God and hate man, are liars and traitors. The masses need to be dehypnotized, to regain their usurped rights, for no man rules by divine right, but only by the consent of the governed. Never has human life been held so cheaply. Never has the slaughter of millions occasioned so little comment. When Masi monasteries, ancient cities and antiquated cathedrals were destroyed there was loud lamentation. When works of art were in danger they were buried deeply underground. Yet such loss is not irreparable. Ravaged cities can be rebuilt, demolished structures replaced, damaged churches repaired and other works of art created. But temples of God, no man can raise again. There is nothing made by hand in the house of God, they are not made of steel, stone, or wood. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And he who those destroy, him God will destroy. Only man does not trust God. All other forms of life trust God implicitly to supply their every need. But man with his superior ideas believes the Creator incapable of providing for him. Man, in his folly, trusts too much in material wealth, and little does he know how unstable it is. What is his today, is another's tomorrow. Those who know God depend upon him as their source of life, love, health, knowledge, supply, and power. They know nothing can ever separate them from the infinite. Those who know him, never put a limit to his infinitude. To them, God is not a matter of opinion, he is. He is boundless love, beyond the grasp of the intellect. He alone knows, he alone understands his mysteries, to whom God in his infinite mercy reveals himself. When a man realizes him, the gates to infinite knowledge open. When a man attains enlightenment, he knows for certain that he is in God and that God is in him. The mysteries of this world and the next, are open books to him. Do not seek him, see him. Where? Everywhere. An Eternal Career, by Frank and Lydia Hammer, 1947
Volume 2, Chapter 5. These endless emanations of the one first cause, all of which were gradually transformed by the popular fancy into distinct gods, spirits, angels, and demons, were so little considered immortal, that all were assigned a limited existence. And this belief, common to all the peoples of antiquity, to the Chaldean Magi as well as to the Egyptians and even in our day held by the Brahmanists and Buddhists, most triumphantly evidences the monotheism of the ancient religious systems. This doctrine calls the life period of all the inferior divinities, one day of Parabrahma. After a cycle of 14 milliards, 320 millions of human years, the tradition says, the Trinity itself, with all the lesser divinities, will be annihilated, together with the universe, and cease to exist. Then another universe will gradually emerge from the pralava, dissolution, and men on earth will be enabled to comprehend Swayam Huva as he is. Alone, this primal cause will exist forever, in all his glory, filling the infinite space. What better proof could be adduced of the deep reverential feeling with which the heathen regards the one supreme eternal cause of all things, visible and invisible? This is again the source from which the ancient Kabbalists derived identical doctrines. If the Christians understood Genesis in their own way, and, if accepting the text literally, they enforced upon the uneducated masses the belief in a creation of our world out of nothing, and moreover, assigned to it a beginning, it is surely not the Tanaim, the sole expounders of the hidden meaning contained in the Bible, who are to be blamed. No more than any other philosophers had they ever believed either in spontaneous, limited, or ex nihilo creations. The Kabbalah has survived to show that their philosophy was precisely that of the modern Nepal Buddhists, the Svabhavikas. They believed in the eternity and the indestructibility of matter, and hence in many prior creations and destructions of worlds, before our own. There were the worlds which perished. From this we see that the Holy One, blessed be His name, had successfully created and destroyed sundry worlds, before He created the present world. And when he created this world he said, This pleases me, the previous ones did not please me. Moreover, they believed, again like the Svabhavakas, now termed atheists, that everything proceeds, is created, from its own nature and then at once that the first impulse is given by that creative force inherent in the self-created substance, or sephira, everything evolves out of itself, following its pattern, the more spiritual prototype which precedes it in the scale of infinite creation. The indivisible point which has no limit, and cannot be comprehended, for it is absolute, expanded from within, and formed a brightness which served as a garment, a veil, to the indivisible points, it, too, expanded from within. Thus, everything originated through a constant upheaving agitation, and thus finally the world originated. H.P. Blavatsky In the later Zoroastrian books, after that Darius had restored both the worship of Ormazd and added to it the purer Mahianism of the primitive secret wisdom, HWTSNTWMBX, of which, as the inscription tells us, he was himself a hierophant, we see again reappearing the Zeru Anna, or boundless time, represented by the Brahmins in the chakra or a circle, that we see figuring on the uplifted finger of the principal deities. Further on, we will show the relation in which it stands to the Pythagorean, mystical numbers, the first and the last, which is a zero, zero, and the greatest of the mystery gods E.L. The identity of this symbol alone, in all the old religions, is sufficient to show their common descent from one primitive faith. This term of boundless time, 
which can be applied but to the one who has neither beginning nor end, is called by the Zoroastrian Zarawana Akarin, because he has always existed. His glory, they say, is too exalted, his light too resplendent for either human intellect or mortal eyes to grasp and see. His primal emanation is eternal light which, from having been previously concealed in darkness, was called out to manifest itself, and thus was formed Ormazd, the king of life. He is the firstborn of boundless time, but like his own antitype, or pre-existing spiritual idea, has lived within primitive darkness from all eternity. His logos created the pure intellectual world. After the lapse of three grand cycles, he created the material world in six periods. The six Amshaspans, or primitive spiritual men, whom Ormas created in his own image, are the mediators between this world and himself. Mithras is an emanation of the Logos and the chief of the 28 Azeds, who are the tutelary angels over the spiritual portion of mankind, the souls of men. The Farars are infinite in number. They are the ideas or rather the ideal conceptions of things which formed themselves in the mind of Ormazd or Ahuramazda before he willed them to assume a concrete form. They are what Aristotle terms privations of forms and substances. The religion of Zarathustra, as he is always called in the Avesta, is one from which the ancient Jews have the most borrowed. In one of the Yashts, Ahuramazda, the Supreme, gives to the seers one of his sacred names, Ami, I am, and in another place, Ami Yat Ami, I am that I am, as Jehovah is alleged to have given to Moses. This cosmogony, adopted with a change of names in the rabbinical Kabbalah, found its way, later, with some additional speculations of Manes, the half-Magus, half-Platonist, into the great body of Gnosticism. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 If I were you, I would not miss the day of making the call to the beloved I Am Presence and all the angelic hosts to keep you surrounded by whatever immortal purity of the sacred fire angels that forever keeps you disconnected from human creation. This can be an invincible guard to your emotional body so the discord of other people's feeling cannot come in and connect with your life stream. This can be a protection to your mind to keep tramp thoughts, destructive thoughts, destructive pictures, from holding the attention of your intellect until the disturbance can reach into your feeling and take the energy of your emotional body and sustain destructive activities. Please believe me tonight, precious ones. Just believe me long enough to try it and let me show you what the angels of the sacred fire can do between two seconds, when it comes to the controlling of human creation. There isn't one sitting in this room tonight who can't have the individual protection and power drawn about you by the angelic host that forbids human creation to connect with you. Therefore, as we unfold more of the power and perfection from the Ascended Master's octave, we ask you to use the power until you become aware of just what it can do for you, until you understand how great it is, and until you understand how you can direct it to assist others. One of the mightiest avenues of service you can give is to call the cosmic angels of fiery Christ blue lightning power and immortal purity to strike in and around every one of your loved ones in the national defense and issue the fiat, regardless of what goes on in war, issue the fiat that the sinister force shall not approach. The beloved Saint Germain once told you that when you use the word, stop, it is a cosmic command and can shatter into annihilation approaching destruction. And when you call for the great angelic host's sacred fire power that stops all human creation or approaching you or your loved ones, 
you will find it fulfills your call. And I am offering it to you that you may have the protection. You need not go through distressing conditions if you will remember this. And if I were you, I would call it forth for everybody and everything under this radiation, to keep whatever human creation is generated in the physical octave from even looking in your direction. You can have just as much protection as you want. You can have just as much health and supply as you want, because there are legions of angels whose special service is to give you each one of these activities, and it is all concentrated and projected by the sacred fire love, from the heart flame of the ascended beings and the angelic host. Beloved Archangel Michael, Thank you.